even when we're doing that high velocity skill at a lower pace in the in the slow and 30 percent 50 percent whatever is by first going 100 percent right going and even even over speeding it that might give you the next picture of what yeah. the feeling for you to get to that next level what that should be that was seth Lintz, and you're listening to the just fly performance podcast Today's podcast is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online sports technology store that curates the best of in various elements of training, such as timing systems with the free lap timing system, training tools with things such as blood flow restriction training and the K box, athlete monitoring devices such as velocity based training, force plates, and the VO2 master, and much more. I choose sponsors for this show that I use their products personally. And I have been loving using blood flow restriction training this past year. The free lap timing system has been an absolute staple for me. I've really enjoyed using bar speed tracking and the K box. Those and other products in their store have been a really valuable part of not just my coaching journey, but also my journey as an athlete. They have as well an amazing blog on sports performance and are a top-notch company with great customer service. Be sure to check them out, and you can do that at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Our guest today is Seth Lintz. He is a pitching performance coach based out of Scottsdale, Arizona, known as the Pitching Doctor on his social media accounts. Seth has trained over a dozen individuals to break the 100-mile-per-hour pitching barrier in the last two years, and himself had a maximal fastball of 104 miles an hour. He was a second-round pick in the 2008 Major League Baseball draft. Seth uses a progressive training system that combines a priority on neuromuscular efficiency and development with intuitive motor learning concepts. And of all the high-velocity activities human beings can do, throwing a ball at high speed is the fastest. It's the fastest thing that we can do. And as such, it's a special skill worth studying. This podcast is going to have concepts that whether you are a baseball coach, a pitching coach, a track coach, or somewhere in between, today's show is all about teaching high velocity. And so on the show, Seth will be sharing details from his early immersion in throwing mechanics. He'll give his take on the mental elements, the kinesthetic, the uh, feeling-based elements of high velocity throw training. And then he'll also be talking about the ability to surge that fits with elasticity in a throw and the importance of changing speeds. He'll also speak on developmental aspects of throwing, how athletes can be brought up into a high-velocity model without overcomplicating, overdoing, or putting roadblocks in the way. And throughout this, we make many connections between sprinting, throwing, and human locomotion. This is an episode that, again, as I mentioned, where regardless of where you are on that athlete spectrum, there's tons of useful information here. It was awesome talking to Seth. He is so intuitive in the coaching world and also obviously having walked the talk himself it's really cool to get into his mind and how he sees the process of high velocity training let's get to episode 342 with seth Lintz. so seth you know i know you've had a very early start in i guess what we would call athletic performance from the sounds of it with um your, your dad and training and things like that uh just curious some of your start your start in pitching baseball throwing hard, running fast, things like that. It's, it's funny because you and I talk a little bit about some of the stuff I posted on pictures, mental pictures and stuff like that. And 
right when you asked me that, the very first thing that I my mind goes back to when you asked me where I got my start is frame by frame pictures of Nolan Ryan throwing and Pedro Martinez throwing. So when we had dial up, uh, first got a printer and all that, my dad, he made sure that whenever he spent money, he sent it on things that were going to help us develop. And he bought a camera that had a, the little VHS tapes in it, the mini VHS tapes around that time too. It was, this was early nineties or whatever. So it was expensive. And my dad had a room in our house and he, that was the, that was the first thing that he gave me though. As far as like, when I think of training the throw, at least prior to that moment in time and having like a template or positions right within the throw, I didn't even really conceptualize where my body was in space at all. When mm-hmm. I was the ball. So that's a kind of a cool thing to think about just on its own. And then my memory and actually the beginning, the start of training, learning how to pitch was pictures. You know, it was looking at just frame by frame pictures. Well, my dad learned from going to golf digest school in Seattle, Florida, kind of learned how they had their setup as far as multi-angle, real-time video analysis, slow motion stuff. You know, I had the grid up on the wall behind you to kind of see, compare swings, you know, to another individual going in real time and stuff like that as well. So my dad came back and kind of tried to recreate some of that the best that he could and put a couple of TVs in one of the rooms in our in our home, which he didn't let my mom finish and, you know, put any anything in except just a couch and those TVs, basically. And, and that room was there was spent a lot of time in there doing my dad had pre-recorded like pedro or whomever click 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 you know so that i could follow along with it doing my extreme slow to well, i could watch him on the television over here and i could look in the mirror in front of me and see the same angle or on the screen right beside it we had the camera going on the same angle as what Pedro was re, you know, pre-recorded doing. So you could kind of see yourself from multiple angles, almost have a kind of a 360 aspect in your mind about how your body was moving, you know, and where you actually were in space. Cause my dad realized that that was the best thing that he could do for me. He wasn't really a pitcher himself. He pitched a little bit in high school, but one of the best ways he realized that he could teach me was to just give me an accurate picture, you know, look at who the best in the world, who are the best guys in the world and who have longevity and aren't huge, you know, they're getting a lot out of their body. And then let me just create that picture for you and then create the environment in which you can chase it. So I think those are very valuable things to do for young you know, kids that are young, I think building a healthy relationship with training and sports is also very much a relevant topic. And I think important for parents, especially, you know, who are really in control of that early on, to be wise enough to, yes, create the environment for your kid and give them the tools so that they 
can chase after that picture on their own. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's a big one is we live in a world where things can get very manufactured and forced very quickly. Like follow this technical model, go to this academy, you know, go to this, be on this team ultimately, which I mean, aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but ultimately the athlete has to be invested in that and has to kind of have a vision that goes with that. And like you had said too, or kind of were talking about, and I know we were talking about before is being able to feel things as well, like connect the vision with the feeling in your body. I'm curious, Seth, you know, you, you talked about how you had such a visual start and you studied Nolan Ryan and Martinez extensively. I'm curious what your technique ended up looking like relative to those guys, you know, being obviously being a different body very type, similar. having a different, very, so did a very similar, interesting. Very, very similar. I mean, I think, you know, I've done overlays before of both of those individuals and I, I think that there's a lot of similarities, but I've actually, as I've gotten older, I have tried to get away from that. Maybe it's my own pride. You know, like when I see myself on camera, I strive for my own unique style. You know what I mean? I don't actually, because I, if you, if you toss me a ball and you say, Hey, look, throw a ball like Pedro, I can make it look really similar. I mean, really similar. If you said, make it look like Nolan Wright, I can make it look pretty damn similar. If you ask me, you know, throw like Walker Bueller, I can make it look pretty similar to that too. You know, if I have the picture in my head, I can, you know, like the kid in the backyard throwing with a ball, whatever. I can do that. You know, I can do it at pretty high speed too, uh, with intent, you know, and those different styles. But for me, when I'm at my best, I have my own unique style. When I look back at the times that I've been at my best and I, and I have that picture in my mind, I know what I look like. You know, if I really add, do I know myself and say, what positions do I find whenever I'm not thinking of trying to look like anybody? Mm-hmm. I'm only thinking and trying to throw the ball as hard as humanly possible for me, for me. So I know what I look like and I know that it has its own unique aspects. So that's really whenever I look at my throw now, I try to look for the kid in my throw, you know, like the, the, mm. when I look back and, you know, I think about myself when I'm younger, even it's actually funny because some of the mechanical positions that I've, refined 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 over time you know what i mean i, I look at it but you know, i hate that i hate that you know, i go back and try to work on it work on it work on it i try to fix it and then i go back and i'm throwing slower <laughs> you know i'm like oh, it doesn't feel as good tighter and this that whatever else and then i realized that like was I doing it fully right the way before? Not really. I wasn't doing it completely right, but there were aspects of it that were, that were right and were helping me get more leverage. So, you know, there's always with intent, you know, there's always a, your body will find its most efficient way to produce power at that given time, you know, and there's an evolution process that's also ongoing, you know, with your, own body as well and your own strength and mobility and all the the variables at play so that changes as well yeah it makes me think uh, a few things are running through my head one is i guess i think about like the the 
potential variability in different human skills, like how much variability between elite performers will you see in like sprinting, distance running, and in distance running, you'll see more variability than sprinting. How much variability would you see in amongst throwers or, or the higher velocity, like higher velocity versus a slower velocity skill? I'm not a golf specialist person at all. It does fascinate me. I mean, any human motion fascinates me. I'd heard somebody, I don't even think it was a sport coach necessarily talking about how each golfer has their own, their own signature and their own nuance. And of course, everyone does, right? But I was just thinking okay. how much variability in a golf swing versus a baseball pitch. And you had mentioned like having that visual base and inspiration of those elite pitchers and ending up looking relatively like them. I'm curious if you could go back in time or if you were bringing up an athlete from square one, would you use that same strategy? Or would just having the intention of throwing as fast as possible and not studying those those frames and seeing what comes out? Just your take on that That's idea. That's a great question. That's a great question. Actually, I think my, my answer might surprise you a little bit. I, I would do a version of that. I would probably... So, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. But there's a theory, and I, I kind of like to hold you know, some of my thoughts, like, about the development of your psyche as it relates to training and stuff to this. But um, there's a theory that you're infinitely capable at birth of learning any skill. Your brain, with the given DNA, your ability to express the skill has a certain level, you know, magnitude at which you're going to be able to do that. But, you know, humans are infinitely capable at birth. And then, at that moment, really, is when the limiting, limitation process begins. Everything that they see at that moment moving forward is limiting them as to what they believe to be possible and what they are adapting there to. So if you kind of stick with that a little bit, and I, I would say that once you introduce throwing, I, I wouldn't even let my kids see throwing unless it was probably in person at first i would probably only let them see it on a screen and maybe from myself you know me throwing a ball knowing that his genetics obviously came from me and that i can do it at a very high level but i would i would speed it up to 2x and or do the even Showing things like throwing the thing I had in my story last night, the ball on a, on a rope, the slingshot. You can throw that thing 125 miles an hour, you know? So the, like a really fast sped up version, you know, on a loop. Mm. So that he was seeing the ball going 120 miles an hour. And then when you introduce him to throwing and catching, even for the first time, I mean, we would leave the session with him standing by things going really, really fast. I mean, it's faster than what you're going to need to see on the playing field so that you can get your mind tuned to that level, you know, or he can at least. I think if you can make that his initial picture, then you don't box him into that 100-mile-an-hour ceiling, you know, yeah. or whatever. I I meant to ask this, but what's the, and I'm, I feel like you've uh, been posted, but what's the fastest you threw as a pitcher? 
104 is the fastest that I've ever thrown. I had a bunch of dudes out during spring training one year in the backyard, and um, it was quite the vibe. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Just, uh, it's interesting to think, I mean, I, my, my biomechanical interest hasn't gotten, like I said, golf pitching. I mean, it fascinates me, but I haven't taken the time, like I've studied other movements to study pitching, but I'm curious once you get to a certain velocity and the ability to throw a certain velocity, like, I mean, I do know I'm pitching, like you get like the, I've seen like the submarine type throwers or whatever, like people who are way out there, I guess, in the oddball unorthodox world. But I would imagine that no submarine pitcher is going to be throwing 105. You know, like the closer you get to those upper limits, you probably have to start having more. The body probably starts self-organizing a more like the bandwidth gets smaller probably is what I'm saying. I would imagine is that or is there still a fair amount of variability at that high end? I'm I'm curious. I mean, I would have thought at some point and I, and I think to some degree you're right. Uh, about saying the thing like submarine guys aren't going to probably be able to get the ball up uh, going that fast just because the issue is that you can't utilize the gravity vector the same way right coming over the top gives you the ability to capture a little bit more momentum you know than thrown from a sidearm or submarine plane but then again, dude, you've got a couple guys out there that, you know, I've seen 99 from hmm. dead nut right here in person and, you know, trained it. And That's I've, awesome. And, and seen, um, you know, we got guys that are right there. I mean, Joyce is three o'clock almost with his arm slot. Diaz is almost three o'clock or basically three o'clock. And they're 102, and Joyce is fastest in the world, you know, almost. So Hicks is Hicks used to, I think he um, used to have a little lower squat, you know, but not not like them, obviously. Yeah, with that in mind, I mean, I think that's so awesome too. Like I, I do look at, you know, pitching, throwing, like an arm, <laughs> like the whip of the arm. How? What are the different? It seems like there could be a variety of strategies utilized to create that whip. And I think about Rafe Kelly had said this, like we talk about humans compared to animals. And of course, running, we get destroyed. Like (laughs) I watch dog races and it just blows me away. I'm like, these things are so fast, let alone like cheetahs and antelopes and things like that. But one of the things humans can do really well outside of cold weather endurance or, or no, warm weather, sorry, warm weather endurance, cold weather endurance, we get destroyed by huskies. But the is throwing, like throwing is the thing that humans are compared to animals are are really, really good at. And I look at it almost in the way of, well, human beings compared to animals, we have more exploration. Like we kind of can can use, um, like I think about like swimming, like we're using limbs in a way that wasn't necessarily meant to be for swimming, like in a way, but we can do it. We can use it. We can create uh, and we stand upright and we're 3D and rotational and all these degrees of freedom. And uh, sorry, I don't want to like get too convoluted with that thought, but I just think it's no, kind of no, cool. No. It's a distinctly I, human thing, and there's more options, is what I'm trying to say. A long-winded answer. I think interesting about throwing too is that it's it's a it's a more highly evolved skill for uh, an animal. They don't really have a purpose to learn throwing. Yeah, um, yeah maybe feeding themselves, throwing something up on a tree, a monkey, you know, a really smart one, <laughs> or protecting themselves is the only thing I can think of. But uh, for humans, it's an evolved skill for 
both hunting and for uh safety you know what i mean for mm-hmm. fighting yeah so it's cool uh, too there's oh, sorry go ahead purpose yeah i was just gonna say there's there's a real purpose for actually learning the skill of throwing as i i think that it's been an evolved thing over over a long time yeah, sorry. You just put. I'm sorry to interrupt. You just put a, a thought in my head. It like kind of popped out. I was like, just thinking about um, like my son. He's four now, but at 18 months, I have a video of him just throwing rocks into a creek. And like, and I wasn't like, I don't even think I was like telling him to do it. I didn't think I was doing it. You know, he just. It's just like in his DNA. And I find that compared to my daughter, I mean, this is only n of one, but it strikes me that like young boys like to just throw things more naturally it's like in their instinct than girls because it's almost like they're it's like that survival dna instinct of being able to throw things to survive or to fight or whatever it's like it's in there and you know obviously females can learn it too but i just don't think it's kind of it's not quite their natural like you know they're two years old like chucking things around (laughs) like my son was like let's Mm -hmm. do it i mean it's just fun to watch yeah uh, definitely. I think that throwing is very much like sprinting. I think it's definitely a a natural movement. Uh, I mean, I think for a while you, you hear even people say it's an unnatural movement. I would highly disagree with that, just based upon what we just discussed. That I think that humans are even evolved to do it. So. Yeah. So as you we were talking, Seth, I you know I was I have this question farther down in the list but to me this is like a really big concept is that you've talked about the mental picture needed to improve. And I think that I I was a javelin thrower, not an amazing one. I I threw decently well for only a couple of years throwing it, but throwing I feel like has a very strong mental component to it cuz it's so high velocity. You know, it's almost like there's always something that your body could twist, turn, you know, do to get a few more, you know, miles per hour, meters per second or whatever. And I think that people who throw the javelin, I know a really long way. There's something that's mentally wiring, wiring wise, a little bit different about them. <laughs> uh, I imagine it's for pitching as well. So I'm, I'm curious what your take is on, uh, I guess you could say it's too, very broad brush to say just the mental aspect in general, but the mental picture needed to improve. I know you've talked about that and I'd be curious to, for you to expand on that and talk about that for this show. I think, well, yeah, I think that like, like we were talking about before, I think that it's a, it's an evolved skill. So I think that, that kids, I'm not just kids, I mean, everyone in general who's throwing you, as you stated, it's a very high velocity thing. So anything that you plan for, anytime that you're actually planning for a movement rather than feed forward, just having the focus be completely external. So the analogy would be eyes on the tape, you know, at the finish line versus having some sort of internal cue, you know, as to planning your gate, you know, your next step, what that is going to be like. Anytime you're planning, you're slowing down. Okay. The body has to slow down. So there's this great quest, right? To, as we're refining something, well, we have to plan to make a change, right? It, it's the movement, or I look back on the tape, I can see, as you stated before in the, in the question, I can get a couple more degrees here. Also, as this relates to the picture, you know what I'm saying? That you, what your body is doing and what you feel like is doing oftentimes are two very different things. So that's the first importance of the, 
of a good mental picture. It's what is your picture as it relates to throwing when you see a throw inside of your head? And then what do you actually see when you see yourself throwing? What does that actually look like? And how does it relate to what's happening in reality? I think that you got to find consistency across all those levels, right? So that's what I mean by mental picture. Mental picture is not just a single faceted thing. It's your mental relationship to throwing, right? Because mm-hmm. when we have a mental picture, it gives you a feeling too. It should anyway, if you, because we got emotions attached to that definition of throwing for us. So I guess I would say that that's the importance of, of crystallizing what that is. Now, as I stated before, if you're planning for it, then you're slowing down. Well, how do we, that's the job of a coach right there. Ultimately is that how, how to get you as the student to be aware of the change that needs to be made yet deliver in a way where you can attach that change that tweak adjustment mechanical flaw whatever you can adjust that to being in a more optimally efficient position right that that's really what we as coaches are seeing without planning for it now that's a skill right and the kids that can look at you as you're describing the movement and you don't have to say much, but you just say, you know, like you show them the flow of the movement, the way that it should be. And they have that kinesthetic awareness to put that to a feeling, transmute that picture to a feeling that as they're watching you, they can feel the way that you look. Right. And then they can put that into their movement, man. That's when, you know, you have a really kinesthetically intelligent athlete who can make a lot of progress really fast, and they're doing that naturally on their own without even realizing it. You know, going on that full learning process without having to slow down. You know, and I think that's where things get messed up a lot of times is in that stage of be making people aware of what's going on, and then how they should actually resolve it right like because mechanizing things and contrived being really contrived with your movements and stuff and being afraid of a bad position that's not it either yeah <laughs> and that usually takes you backwards so i wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about my story with our sponsor lost empire herbs Several years ago, I had strongman and mental training expert Logan Christopher on the show, and in the interview, I realized that Logan, in addition to deadlifting over 500 pounds and ripping phone books in half, also was the founder of an herbalism company. Long story short, I ended up ordering the Phoenix Formula, one of their flagship products, and in taking that, I noticed increased energy and a decreased reliance on coffee, which honestly, I was kind of expecting that. But what I didn't expect is after a few weeks, I noticed my weight room numbers had increased substantially. And the Phoenix formula also led me to getting shilajit resin, which is found in the Phoenix formula and recommended by a lot of strength coaches, as well as other Lost Empire Herbs products. I've been using Lost Empire Herbs ever since, and I have sponsors of the show that I believe in, that I use, and that I want to share with you. So if you want to check them out, head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly for 15% off my favorite Lost Empire Herbs products, 
you get a 365-day money-back guarantee. I really enjoy having Lost Empire Herbs as a sponsor of this show, and I hope you get a chance to check out what they have to offer. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, I, I absolutely love what you said. There's the picture to feeling. Is is here's what this looks like, and here's what you you see in a elite competitor. And I love too, by the way. Maybe I'll bring this up later if I remember it. But you being able to say, all right, I'll, I'll show you how this person pitches. I can do how this person pitches. I can do how this person. I've seen um, a swim coach or swim consultant, Milton Elms, when I would see him work or just in his leisure time, he would be like, oh, this is how you know the Australians or the Italians swim or whatever. Like, I think as a coach, being able to say, hey, I can do how this person runs, this person runs, this person swims or throws or whatever. And obviously, you're not going to be one of those ways is probably going to be more suitable for your body and your levers and your mechanics than others, you know, but just the ability to do all them and feel all them, I, I just think is so valuable. But anyways, back to what I was saying, I love picture to feeling because I think so often we live in a world where it's like picture to position, like we'll show athletes a, a picture or maybe we demonstrate something and then we say, we'll get in that position and, and feeling isn't even on the list. <laughs> and, but the problem with position is it's like you said, and it's like um, Kibway Johnson, a hammer, hammer thrower and coach has said this is basically like at the beginning of the hammer throw, everything I kind of put in your head to like think about during that throw is going to take away from the potential of that throw. And it's only really feelings that are the movement amplifiers that we can take and, and use in, in the deep part of our physiology, the instinctive part, not just the, I'm going to like really think about this. <laughs> I'm going to think about the, the I, just, I just, I love that. I love that, that the picture to feeling like, like idea. I just think that is so helpful and it'd be cool as we go through various skills to start you know, almost having, again, I think once you make too big of a map, you start to again overcomplicate it because every athlete too is an N of one, but just to have that mm-hmm. idea in your head, I, I just think that's such a valuable a phrase that you mentioned there. Yes, I think that if you uh, think of it in terms of the position, that's kind of like the way I, I mentioned uh, first learning throwing, right? Like the frame by frame or whatever. But the, the, the feeling when you can make that crossover of of picture to feeling, then you can immediately use it within your actual throw because the throw isn't a position. It's a bunch of positions woven together, right? And sequenced together. So I can immediately snap into that feeling. I can go there in my mind. Once I know it, I know the feeling of a movement. I can go there without thinking i can keep my focus now in the forefront on throwing to a target and even still feel that in the background and that's the only way to do things at a high velocity it's the only way your mind is going to actually be able to keep some point of reference when there's that much information coming into the brain right at that rate so when you're going as fast as you can go, whether it's in a sprint or a throw or whatever. So. Yeah, I love that. It makes me think too about some of these unique skills. I was going to say things that humans can do. I don't think there's any animals that could throw a hammer, like a 16-pound hammer in track and field. With. And even, even maybe the hammer is actually, maybe that's the most evolved skill. I, I You know, you could probably give like a gorilla a 16-pound shot put and probably could actually do pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but, but a hammer... And 
you know, with the hammer too, it's like high velocity and extremely reactive pitching. It's like the highest velocity thing that I'm aware of that we can whip our limbs to do. And I think that keying in any coach, regardless of whether you coach pitching, throwing or something, you know, like, like that or not. I think there's so much that everybody can learn from the thought process that goes into moving your body as fast as humanly possible, like doing the absolute highest velocity things that we can do. I just think there's a lot there that that we all can learn. And maybe that's where, you know, I don't think the feeling, I mean, there is a lot of stuff in like just even in running and distance running. Sorry, I'm kind of going on a little bit of a tangent. My brain sometimes runs maybe more than it needs to. Uh, Here's the host. Uh, But even distance running is interesting because a lot of people will try to make, and I think running is just a common thing for a lot of people because everybody does it. But the the amount of technical interventions that people make to my knowledge in distance running is very much less than what is attempted for let's say sprinting and i think it's because it's so apparent in distance running that if you try to manufacture things you're going to get tired really fast or sprinting you can try to make it work in practice and stuff like that and running goes more i think into like awareness like like if you look at like some of the running books like chi running or I'm trying to think of even like Helen Hall, who's been on this podcast, has a very notice and awareness based system. So like running longer, slower running kind of starts with this awareness of the body type mentality. And then it's almost like a spectrum. Now let's go into like the highest velocity. And I think there's easily feeling as well in, in distance running. But it's just cool to think about like that, that high, um, highest velocity element. Yeah. I think that if you look at the uh, all that all speeds matter and training all speeds and then you look at training at the high velocity skills at the highest velocity that you can train them at the the only way that the body can know what it's really working toward right and what feelings it's chasing and trying to develop and the even when we're doing that high velocity skill at a lower pace in the in the slow and thirty percent, fifty percent, whatever, is by first going a hundred percent, right? Going and even even overspeeding it. That might give you the next picture of what yeah. the feeling for you to get to that next level, what that should be. So there's a an awareness that is altered. With and you kind of mentioned this at the beginning. That at the beginning of the training, there's there's an improvement in the awareness. Well, if I if I relate that to a throw, okay, and the same with, with spreading, if I start with an extreme slow throw, well, all of a sudden now balance becomes much more relevant than it did with the full speed throw. Now, did it really? No, it didn't become more relevant. It's just as relevant in the high speed throw. You know what I mean? It's just as important. That variable is, this has the same level of importance. However, your ability to feel the importance of balance goes way up with the extreme slow throw because you look like a buffoon if you don't have it. So where those same gaps in balance, weight shift or whatever that you see on the extreme slow when you're shaky or whatever, those are occurring at the high speed throw too. You just can't feel them. Because there's a lot more information per second coming back into the motor cortex, right? So you're only able to process and replan for, react, 
for so much of that information. And that's why we slow it down and speed it back up and, and overspeed it so that we can try to get the brain to adapt to intaking more information in a shorter period of time more efficiently over the long term and that's really what adapting the nervous system is yeah uh, for those extreme slows i think what i heard with the russian literature is like a two minute like go through the throwing motion for like two minutes or something like like you know a millimeter at a time or is that how how what's your time yeah i don't those? even i don't know i don't even know what the correct time frame is i'd just say go as long as you can i've done extreme slows up to from start to finish up to five ten minutes i've done it every which way forward and back a lot longer than two minutes but it's going to come down to your degree of balance you know balance is, is, a, is a huge piece of that and also knowing your throw i see guys going to extreme slows all the time and it doesn't actually look like their real throw. However, it's very revealing what their mental picture is about their throw. You know what I'm saying? How they, mm. I guess, how yeah. they attach the feelings that they have within their throw, how they re- try to reproduce them at a slow pace. It's not accurate, but it's also revealing as to what they're trying to do to create power. Their allusions to power positions, right? How they're body they're trying to organize their body to create that that gives you a little bit of a window into how they perceive that i love that i feel like that's it's in some ways it's kind of too bad i feel like that that is probably the most easily applicable to things where you're standing and swinging like a golf swing or a would be real easy or a throw I feel like running, things like running or jumping is a lot harder because it's a leg-to-leg occurrence. So, it's like you have a very small window of of a t- place on the ground where you could really do that. But I do love how, like, it's almost like as someone's going through that really slowly, that's where all their preconceived notions of how it should be done would come out, you know? <laughs> like you said, like, what are they... And then versus the other end of things, I think about something like oh, like overspeed, overspeed sprinting, like being towed or running down a hill, little hill or something like that. And I know some people have said too, don't tow people faster than their max, or you know, just tow 100. percent They don't have to try as hard, or whatever the the exact prescription is. I always like the idea of having athletes do that. And I think this is the an interesting thing is I've never seen a coach do an overspeed and tell and combine that with some sort of technical cue hey we're gonna tow you faster and do this it's well because one you you're going so fast your options are reduced but i like the idea of telling athletes to actually notice how their body is changing to accommodate that new high speed that new mental picture a lot of times it's actually the knees going a lot lower than you would think and the mm-hmm. body creating a collision with the ground in a different way than you would think because it has a new vertical support mm-hmm. need. And it's like exposing your body to, hey, you know, what, if your body is going to go faster, why don't you feel some of the things it has to do now, you know, and recognize right. that and make special exercises out of it or something. And that's just not approached that way, really. It's usually just, well, here's the prescription. Here's how many you do, da, 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 da. you know, and it's, um, yeah, I just think that with that mindset. That's the beauty of how anything. God made it, though. That's yeah. that's the beauty of how God made it, for sure, that you're with intent, with the emotion, right, the body angle, like you you said it beautifully. When you're going that fast, it takes away options. Mm-hmm. There's no time for you to think about anything. 
especially if you're going as fast as you've ever gone, the only thing that there's time for is for you to react to the ground, meaning not think about it, but you got to get something down to catch yourself, basically. Something has to happen so that you don't hit the ground. And all of a sudden you realize that that's instinctual and that's the right position. Right? So that's the beauty of us going down the rabbit hole, you know, how many different ways trying to perfect mechanics when really perfect mechanics start with intent and emotion and unadulterated form is purely thoughtless. Yes. So. Yeah, I love that. It's it's like formless is the word. It's probably like a Bruce Lee term somewhere in there. I'll have to dig up a video. <laughs> like, that, I love that concept. I mean, there is, I guess, a bandwidth, but in but there's not. It's a bandwidth without restriction. So maybe you're better off not saying the word to the athlete, at least. <laughs> you know, I'm curious. So with all this, like creating a mental picture, an athlete comes in to work with you. Tell me about some of the things that go through your mind in terms of looking at their mental belief system, like their beliefs in terms of their throw, if that's limiting them, like the things you say to them. I know that's, uh, tell me if I'm getting too broad with that question. I've already said like three things there. So, but maybe just nuts and bolts of your interaction with an athlete on that mental picture level of the throw. I actually, if, if I had an athlete that was eight, nine, you know, I mean, I may like try to shape that for them but you know i usually get guys that are grown men by the time they get to me so i usually try to dis- i don't outright discuss that with them what their mental picture is for the throw i just have things that i look for that give me an idea about what their mental picture for the throw is because i think that if i start talking to them about the importance of that rather than just work on these one or two things you know and i start giving them all these other variables like hey you need to establish a new relationship with the mental picture that you have for throwing and all that now i got this guy going and watching five different guys and i'm seeing a completely different throwing style the next day when we're going out you know because he's trying to look like this guy or whatever else so too many distractions now with all that i feel like Mm -hmm. So I don't really make, I try, I try to limit awareness on some things, you know what I mean? And, and bring awareness up on other things. I think that's really our job as trainers mm. is to, what are we making you highly aware of today? And then like awareness can be a bad thing too, right? Like the, <laughs> I make you uh, aware of too much. And now that just stacks as interference uh, to the other stuff. So, um, I guess that's the best way I could answer your question is I have some conversations about that a little bit, but I try to shape that the best that I can, you know, and I even have deliberate things that I do. Like, you know, I don't send guys their video, every guy, you know, after he throws a bullpen, he wants his video or whatever. Well, after bad days, I don't send it to him. I, I won't do that. I mean, and that's probably when guys want it the most, you know, so they can see what they're doing wrong, or whatever. I won't even send it to them. <laughs> I say, you know, that's not a not what you want to see. When you PR, then I'll show you that one. You know what I mean? Because that's the I want you adapting even the picture of your throw in your mind. I don't want even a, a little bit of exposure to that negative for you. You know what I mean? Like 
I'm trying to completely evolve that picture of how you move when, when you see yourself, even in your own mind throw. I like um, that. Just think that that controlling that aspect for your athletes is important because they will, some guys, guys are different. You know, some guys are obsessive and will do 8,000 dry reps a day and put it on video and, you know, look at every single one of them. You know, other guys won't. They throw their plan and they're done. You know what I mean? I don't think about throwing for until they throw next. You know what I mean? I think that's the better relationship ultimately. But most guys that are coming to me, they are there for self discovery and because they've been a lot of different places. So I know that I'm going to have the guy who wants me to break down every piece of it. And then we got to put it all back together again. And and we got to shift the awareness from internal to external, which is a much more difficult process, you know, but that's my job is to mitigate that because guys will get bogged down and, and making things too fine tuned and perfect and copying the wrong things or whatever else. So I just had a podcast with Zach Evanesh about that. Just the tendency, the desire to control and make all the variables too perfect. And humans aren't wired. <laughs> We're not wired from our instinctual drive to adapt and train that way. And it makes me think too about like the, the, the overwatcher, <laughs> the over video watcher. I remember I've seen swimmers do that who will analyze their race too much. And the coaches don't like, didn't like it. They're like, you're watching your race too much. And it's, it's interesting because you start to think, well, what are you associating with? It's like, what are your associations of being fast? Is it, you know, like I, if I'm swimming, I did this many kicks or I put my arm this way or I was like this on top of the water or whatever. I mean, I'm not even, I, I, I swimming fascinates me. No, I, there's that's, certain that things that I don't know about statement it. is very right on the money, dude. I, I mean, what is your association with being fast? That's a perfect way to ask it. I think it's a critical question to ask because I think that a lot of guys have the wrong picture of what fast feels like. Mm. You know, like uh, tension, you know, and, and uh, strong, you know, is, yeah. is kind of the, a lot of times the association and, and it's not, it's, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of start touching on one of the other questions here. You said, what are the, what are the most critical things in my mind that I see for an athlete to possess to throw a ball fast? And this kind of touches on some of the same stuff. And my thoughts were tempo actually first tempo and then sequencing and those are broad terms but i'll elaborate tempo meaning that there's a cadence that from start to finish the throw progressively builds with speed there are no stopping points you know it's it's not a spike at the initial stage and then a slowdown and then another spike it's a gradual buildup from start to finish. I think that tempo is critical. And I think that unless enough momentum, I don't think I know unless enough momentum is created initially in the initial stages, even though, like I say, it, the throw has to build that initial stage has to be fast. It's not slow, faster, fastest. It's fast, faster, fastest, but you, it can't be with tension. Because in order for you to really conserve and capture that momentum, you can't be tight. You have to be able to turn on late while moving fast 
and that requires you to still be loose. So very much like sprinting. There's an initial start phase and there is tension that's carried through the body. Your job after that is to get the tension out, actually, so that you can relax right as you gain as you get up in the posture. If you get tight, then you corrupt the gait and the time goes down. You know, and your breathing fails and you see it in the neck and the posture suffers actually as a result. So and the same thing is true with all fast movements. It's the ability for the body to actually get moving at a high pace, but then stay relaxed at that pace so that it can continue to act while moving at a fast pace. Does that make sense? Yeah. I One of the things that I associate that with is uh, James the Thinker Smith had said, athletes, all athletes on the early level in their developmental years should be doing like track gymnastics and swimming, like as a base. And he had mentioned swimming on the idea of, I think, just controlling your body in space, like without like, you know, a floor to like a hard point to, to balance or launch off of. But one of the things that's also interesting with swimming is that the body works in kind of more of a surge-like fashion. Kind of like what you're talking about. There's like these delays and lags and versus I, I think that we can very easily go completely the other way and talk about like, well, well, punch the ground when you run would be the complete opposite of that. 100%. And so I do think if, if athletes only do swimming their whole life and they don't play many other sports, they don't tend to be amazing at, at other things. But a small quality, this is just again where I'm coming from, but a, a, a moderate quality, quantity, I should say, of swimming. Like I've seen athletes who, I remember I was working with one individual who she had a history in, in swimming and she was a track sprinter and her self-organization and this is all multifactorial and whatnot but like her ability to self-organize movement and like long jump was amazing and there's a lot of elasticity that goes into long jumping and i just think about the ability to you know you could even say like bruce lee it's like be like be like water be like uh, moldable and you could again you could take that to the extreme <laughs> a, a swimming you know someone who's swam forever it's it's not gonna be the optimal for a lot of necessarily land-based movement but there is like that water quality. Uh, maybe that's where I just take it in my mind. I, I don't know if that really, I don't know if the meaning of that really resonates a, a lot, but I, I do see the idea of surges, like like having like pace changes. We talk about running and sport and there's the ability to pace, to pace change, to surge and even your running cadence and things like that. And I think that you look at the athlete who's just like maybe the super, we've all seen it, like the super gung-ho weightlifting athlete is almost like something that mentally comes up with that is only having one speed. <laughs> it's only like, ah, you know, like versus mm -hmm. the, the ability to. So I hope that makes sense. That's at least the perspective I take on what you said. 100%. 100%. You know, I think that uh, you can you can learn a lot from sprinting in and of itself or really any other exercise in your ability to manage the tension or it bringing you at homeostasis or the it's really how, whatever you, the pain, however you want to couch it to yourself, however you want to manage that feedback, that information that's being fed back to you, your ability to stay relaxed under pressure, probably the simplest way of putting it. If you can stay relaxed while going fast, then you're going to be able to apply more force while you're traveling faster than another athlete. And that really is kind of the idea is that 
as you adjust the speed, you're like we say, you're gauging, you're changing the gauge and what you're making yourself more or less aware of. So you have gaps, pockets that you're you're bad at. You know, you you're really exposing yourself when you do these various exercises to the gaps in your processing, you know, in your organic computer upstairs. Yeah, the organic computer upstairs. I love it. I I, I want to ask you about um so for you to take me through the process with athletes who maybe are like that, you could say like the weight room warrior type that I had mentioned. But I, before I say that, I did have one thing I was thinking about is that um, I forget who had mentioned this. Maybe it was Randy Huntington or somebody else, but it was something along the lines of a lot of long jumpers. And you saw this in the eighties and nineties, I feel like more than now for whatever reason, but I think it was pretty common for long jump athletes and track which is a, a an elastic event obviously i mean they all are you know there's just i think more degrees i think you need more elasticity relatively speaking to be like a high jumper or long jumper triple whatever than maybe a 60 100 meter dash specialist but a common thing for long jumpers was to run the 200 the 200 meter sprint and i will say like you can be a fast 100 meter athlete while still being more forceful more tight on that relative gauge i mean you might not be your best. You watch Usain Bolt. You know he's got a lot of mm-hmm. looseness. But you see guys who have more compression relatively, still running really fast, well under ten seconds. But once you get up to the two hundred, you aren't going to see as many of those really compressive guys. You know right. they're going to fall off. They they're going to definitely start falling off more substantially. And you know I think about just on the level of what we're talking about feeling like you could take that 100 meter person who has a hard time relaxing and say all right well you just need to be looser da, da, da. or have them run the 200 and maybe come up with ways for them to pay attention to their body in context of a good 200 that can help them to almost find feelings associated with the longer race hey what's that feeling you felt in this part of the longer sprint now associate that and just like different ways to create awareness i think so often we just go to here's the distance fix it versus well let's expose you to different means of awareness let's put those in the system right. let's ask questions yeah so right. I, anyways that that was the thing in my head uh, i'm just curious on your yeah, end no i think i mean you got a lot of different tools i think uh, running is so cool because you can do things like exposing somebody to a treadmill for seven seconds right that's way sped up beyond their what they're capable of doing ordinarily and their body will run that fast just for seven seconds right because it knows that it doesn't have to do this for 20 or a minute right or whatever it'll do it that it'll overspeed itself catch up with the treadmill right so that that's a way of making you aware right of what the next level is and i think that's in all sports those are your exercises that you select that's actually everything that's all that you're doing as a trainer is implementing exercises so that guys day to day can learn a new skill yes strength is a skill coordinating that strength is a skill developing power as a skill all of it requires learning it and re-educating it you know so i mean you can do the same thing with you know given guys with throwing it's usually more closely associated with giving guys really light objects right mm. so having them throw the tennis ball the one ounce ball do the bench press with the dowel you know the ballistic bench with the dowel rod do the 
curls and various you know rebounds with really light objects because again if you don't from a scientific aspect, you don't develop the coordination to move fast then you don't know the feelings associated with moving fast and you don't even know what you're trying to feel when you're doing the slow stuff right because really when you're doing the slow stuff you should be trying to feel what you're feeling when you're doing the full speed right when you're going top end that should be your focus while you're doing it at a really really slow pace so i think that the two run very parallel you know it's just you you're not going to you're not you're not going to get the same thing out of guys uh you know with the their body running faster you know reaching that super physiological rate of speed by exposing to a, a lesser frame of time one thing that i have seen happen though is exposing them to like an overspeed mound so putting blocks under the back of the mound and having guys go down it at a much faster rate that doesn't always make the guys throw harder um, some guys will actually throw slower because their positions get worse and they're not able to organize under that speed but uh i've seen once you take the blocks away that a lot of dudes will their velo will go up because now compared to what the the normal slope, you know, it feels like they have all day. You know, like they got a lot more time that elapses from leg lift to touchdown. You know, they're even moving faster. They've already they've even sped up their pace because of what they felt going down that faster slope. So I think, you know, if you could expose uh, you you touchdown, you know, how would I teach a really young athlete what the first few pictures that I would provide them, how would I train them early on? I think you could find a really steep hill and throw down that mm. and, learn, and learn how to, you know, very much like overspeeding running, you know, yeah. running downhill. Yeah. yeah. I think if you could, I think if you could learn how to do that, I, I think that that would be very, very valuable. Yeah, just have to think of a game for kids. Like, <laughs> I like dodgeball is like an easy game, you know, a lot of, you know, throws and catches and, you know, dynamic things going on and, you know, I, I feel like that was, I didn't, I, I played base, I stopped playing baseball at about age, I don't know, like 11 or 12. And I actually, I loved throwing and pitching when I was younger. And there was like the strike in Major League Baseball in the mid 90s, I think. And I had some baseball coaches that I, I didn't have a good experience with. And I was tall and switched to basketball. But I think I got a lot of my arm speed and eventually being good at javelin, like decently good, at least from, I, I got a lot of playing dodgeball. <laughs> so, but I was thinking, could you make a game? some sort of game where you threw downhill too, you know, like, or, or I, mean, I guess it'd just be situational, but I love using nature, like using nature, use things that happen naturally, use those elements and just to, to draw those things out. Cause what kid doesn't like too? I like watch my children running around and I like watching them too. Like we're at the park and they're like run up the hill and you know, how just, I just notice how their mechanics change. I'm not going to say anything to them about it. And then they run down and I watch how things change. I just think how their body is taking it all in, you know? And I just think that's, that's another thing that I, I just thought about. I think this is important for um, parents who have young kids and stuff. One of the things that, you know what, I think I have one somewhere in here. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Yep. Okay, so this is a regular baseball. And this is the size of one that uh, says pre-infantile on it in Spanish. Hmm. But I know that at least in the Venezuelans, I know that they have their kids under eight, I think. Eight or nine use that. That's a 
instead of a nine inch, it's an eight and a half, I believe. Yeah, eight and a half inches hmm. diameter. And four and a half ounces, so just a little bit lighter. But same density, same density as a baseball. So when you put this in your hand and you feel the weight of it and you feel the weight of a regular baseball, this feels exactly the same weight. The perceived weight mm. is the same because we kind of talking initially about how your, your child would perceive the relationship with just throwing, right? Like the first though that they see the speed at which it's performed at, I think providing implements, right? Because this to a little kid, to a three-year-old, not the same thing as when we grip this. Mm. Totally different thing. And yeah, putting this in their hand at three, I think is dumb. It's like saying, hey, let's learn throwing as adults by you throwing a basketball. No, man, let's learn it by you skipping rocks. Okay. Now that... That makes more sense. That's a more natural movement, right? Oh, yeah. I love skipping rocks, too. What is skipping a rock for a little kid as it relates to, like, throwing a baseball and stuff? Not a baseball, man. It's it's littler. It's going to be smaller. Something you can get his fingers around. Because we know that grip, right? We get getting a ton of sensory information, feedback from this thing. So, grip is compromised. You compromise your grip on a pull-up, on curls, on anything, and see what happens. All of a sudden, your brain is telling you, man, I can't do nearly as many of these. I don't want to go hard, whatever. Right? It's even used as a tool to build intent and strengthen those other areas, whatever. So same thing is true with throwing. If you can provide an object, especially that's dense, I like density especially because you feel the whip aspect of the even lighter stuff, you know, if it's dense, it be three or four ounces but small enough for your kid to whip get the whip and something that i mean i would even probably test it you know if you got the equipment something uh you something you can throw 10 miles an hour harder than what you throw a baseball relative relatively scale it down for your kid you know i mean if it Say if it's you throwing something smaller like this if i'm only dropping a half inch off of this then you know, when his hands are that much smaller than mine, then test it. You know what I mean? And then test how he reacts with the various tools. If you can see what object you put in his hand, whatever object you put in his hand that he throws the hardest, that's the one he should probably be throwing the most. You know, because as soon as he feels it, it sends, sends a feeling up here that he associates with intent, wanting to throw it hard. And that's where he's going to learn the most about throwing so. Oh, I love it. It makes me think too, like that that pitcher who's has the one speed, maybe two tenths, right? Could you take him out to the river and be like, it's going to be very like movie. That'd be very cinematic, you know, like a Hollywood movie. Hey, you know, this pitcher got too tight. I'm going to take you to the river. And you're going to throw rocks like when you're a kid, you know, I mean, that'd be kind of a, I, I imagine that'd be helpful though, for someone who is too tight, needed rhythm paces and to, you know, feel whip and stuff like that could be an interesting thing, but probably not a typical training method. It's not, but yeah, absolutely. As far as we talked about building awareness of various things, I think that that's another thing that you height when you build when you speed things up. I guess that's really what you make yourself more aware of. You kind of mentioned it yourself. You take options away, right? So you you make yourself highly aware of the ending, 
the end feeling is what you make yourself more aware of and the importance of the forward focus on that end feeling, you know, and shaping self-organizing the preceding movement around that. Yeah, that's good stuff, Seth. So before we get out of here, do you have any, any closing thoughts? I think that's a good like box of that feeling topic for today. And do you have any closing thoughts before we put this one on the table for today? Uh, no, I don't. And just, uh, enjoyed it. Enjoyed being on the podcast. We'll do it again sometime. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. It was great having you. Everybody appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to another show and we'll see you all next week.